How many are excited about what God's going to do here this morning? And it's going to be really, really powerful. Well, to those joining us on the camera, I love you. I'm Chad here at Radiant. It's so good. Let's all give a huge holler to Father's House and Atascadero. Come on. <clears throat> to Mercy and Slow. Come on, give it up for Mercy in San Luis Obispo. And Equippers Central Coast, give it up for Equippers. We love you guys. And give it up for Radiant in the room. Come on, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Well, that's just a great, it's like the, a humble joy and honor to, um, to introduce John Tyson. John Tyson has written six books, a lot of books. Look them up on Amazon, Kindle, all of your, uh, your favorite things. He's a pastor of a beautiful church with an amazing team in New York City called Church of the City, New York. He burns to see God pour out his spirit in our day that, that leads to revival in the church and awakening in our culture. And in particular, we just got to experience uh, just the mantle that God has given him to call men to step into their destiny to being intentional fathers who raise intentional sons and daughters in the way of Jesus Christ. And so it is just an unbelievable honor here at Radiant and to represent the church on the Central Coast to welcome Pastor John Tyson. So can you just give a big holler? Welcome our brother. Did you mention that I'm from Australia? Yeah, okay. Sometimes people are like, that Brooklyn accent, deep. <laughs> well, what a, a joy to be with you. Thank you so much for having me. I honestly just feel so much joy being here. Just, I, I feel like you have labored, sought the Lord. You've just built a wonderful culture of faith and hunger and expectation. And it's just been such a gift to be able to preach and share. And uh, I'm honored that there'd be some churches gathering. So welcome to all of you as well. And I want to I give a talk today that's it's really quite a simple talk. And the talk is one of the great obsessions of my life. And it's trying to answer the question, why does revival happen? Is there a key to revival? These great moves of God? Well, everybody's trying to crack this code. And everybody who's experienced some sort of spiritual awakening has their opinions. Calvinists sometimes believe that they experience revival because they have such a high view of God, a view of God's sovereignty, a view of God as the King, a view of God as Lord over all, and He just steps in and takes the stage whenever He wants. And Calvinists have seen tremendous moves of God. Whitfield uh, was a Calvinist. Jonathan Edwards was a Calvinist. You go back through history and you'll see that many, many Calvinists have seen a move of God. But I don't think that's it. Because immediately you see Anabaptists who have no Calvinist theology whatsoever experience moves of God. And sometimes Anabaptists believe that God uh, uses them because of their sense of separateness and faithfulness. Because they're not caught up in the systems of the world and they are the culture of Jesus. And sometimes Anabaptists think God, God uses us because we're holy and we're available to Him. And Anabaptists, the Moravians in particular, those who are outside of the church or the free church tradition, sometimes are the ones who see great outpourings. I don't think that's, that's it either. Because then you get the Anglicans. The Anglicans are not low church. They're high church. They're formal. They're bishops and their buildings and their liturgy and they're the Book of Common Prayer. And sometimes they think it's because of our sacred honour for tradition that God has something to use. And I love the Book of Common Prayer. I use the lectionary as my Bible reading plan. Love it. So good. I don't think that's it. I don't think it's the tradition. Wesley was an Anglican, used powerfully by God in revival. And then, of course, there's the Pentecostals and the Charismatics. And they come along, they're like, it's not high church. It's just church, church. You know, it's the Holy Ghost. And uh, we got the Spirit and that's why God uses us. And I gotta tell you, what God's done through the Pentecostal Charismatic Church is extraordinary. It's the 
the greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit in recorded history. It's going to take over the Catholic Church in terms of size within 150 years. Remarkable. It's primarily in the global south, the minority world. It's not a, it's not a white religion. It is just an outpouring of Holy Spirit. But then you say to the Pentecostals, yeah, but God uses the Calvinists too, man. He, they got good theology. Sometimes Pentecostals are a little light on theology. It's like diet theology. You know what I mean? They just, they don't get, what is it? So I was, I was obsessed with trying to figure this out. So I took my family on a revival tour. And there's a, I think there's a picture of my family. This is us in the back of a taxi on our way to the airport in New York City. And uh, we just said, we are going to read and explore and attend and research revivals. So our family went on a revival tour. We went to 17 locations where some of the greatest outpourings of the Holy Spirit in history have happened. We got to pray with the last remnants of those who experienced the Hebrides revival at a prayer meeting on a Saturday night. Got to pray in Rome, in the cell where the Apostle Paul wrote his last letter, the catacombs where the Christians gathered. It was extraordinary. And then when we came back, people were like, what was it? Did you find it? And they're like, no, I already know. It's prayer, isn't it? I was like, no, prayer is a part of it. That, I don't think that's it. It's, no, it's holiness, isn't it? Holiness. Ah, it's, it's, holiness is important. First thing God will do when He shows up is deal with the sin. It's not it. Repentance, unity. Well, sort of, yes. But I think there's a deeper principle. And here's this. If God uses Calvinists, and Arminians, and Anglicans, and Anabaptists, and Pentecostals, and they all get used by God, in spite of, not because of their distinctives, is there a principle underneath that those Calvinists, and Arminians, and Pentecostals, they all had in common? I said, oh, there's a deeper principle. And so I want to just give you a summary and a sentence of why I think revivals happen. Ready? Here's, here's, here's what I learned. God comes where he's wanted. That's the principle. God comes where he's wanted. It's hunger that draws God. And I think the key, if we can build a culture at scale of hunger for God, God will come and he will move in a region. God comes where he's wanted. And so one of the things I learned is that in order to, to see revival move over a particular geographical area, there's four areas where people have to unite with a deep, deep cry and release that in order for breakthrough to come to a region. That's what I wanna share with you today. It's very simple, but it's very hard to see actualized in real life. Are you with me? Yes. Do you want him here? Yes. Want him in the Central Coast? Yes. Okay then, the first cry is the cry of the heart. It's the cry of the individual. It's building an altar in your heart to host the presence of God. It's hard to do this. It's hard to sustain a revived heart over the course of time. When you're young, you struggle to channel the energy. It just feels like you've got all these forces in your body and your heart and your mind in the world. You're trying to channel it in a godly direction. In middle age, it's hard to summon that energy. It's hard to like kind of get, get energy. Some of you are like, you should wait till you hit your 60s, man. I mean, God has often brought us into the kingdom of God with such vision and such life and such joy, but it's hard to keep that in focus and in high definition. I became a Christian in a Pentecostal revival in Australia. It was just extraordinary. Three and a half, four hour services. This is one of those seasons where they were carrying people drunk in the spirit out to their cars. And I was like, someone's gonna have to drive them home. I don't, I don't feel good about that. I would be at the altar just weeping into the carpet. And I was like, Lord, never let this end. Never let this end. It was extraordinary. But now I'm 45. And that revival moved on. And how do you cultivate in your heart that hunger for the presence of God like you first tasted? Deuteronomy 4 says this, only be careful and watch yourselves closely. So be careful, watch yourself closely that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. And in many senses, it's not that we need to go get something new. It's just we got to keep alive the thing that was given to us when we first walked with Jesus. It's hard to do. It's hard to do. 
When I became a Christian, I was working in a meat factory. So I'm, a, I'm a butcher by training. And um, if you really know me, that does not surprise you at all when you really know me. And I would, I, for my 18th birthday, I went to my parents and I said, will you buy me a pulpit? I feel cold into the ministry. Will you buy me a pulpit? So my parents are like, you sure? I'm like, yes. So my dad had this custom pulpit made for me. And I put it in the corner of my bedroom and I had photos of revivals and revivalists from all over the world. And I would, I would get on my face in front of the pulpit and I would cry out to God, Lord, I'm just on behalf of my generation. I'm praying for a move of God. I'm doing like that covenant identification from the book of Nehemiah. Me and my generation have sinned, Lord God. I'm on my face. And then when I felt some unction, I would stand up behind the pulpit with a Bible and I'd say, I declare the Word of the Lord to my generation. That was my rhythm as an 18-year-old. And then I'd go surfing and then I'd come back. But I tell you what, we can't let the things God did in the early years be a phase. They've got to become a culture of our heart. And I still to this day have that rhythm of getting on my face before God and then getting behind the pulpit and declaring the Word of the Lord. When I was first married, I got married to an American, broke my parents' heart. I am as Australian as you can get by birth. My great, 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 grandmother was on the first fleet of the 1,000 convicts that came to Australia. So there's total depravity, which is like, hey, we're all sending Adam. And then there's cultural depravity, which is your country is founded by convicts. And that's me. So, so, so deep into the history of Australia. Married an American and uh, I was in Bible college in Dallas at the time. And uh, we were so broke. I was working at Albertsons as a butcher. I'm working as a janitor part-time. And I'm working as a youth pastor uh, on the side. And I get, um, I get given the opportunity to, to get a little home. It was $300 a month. And I was like, okay, now I really got something here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna build to a, build a home for my bride. Now, I didn't think, why is it $300 a month for a home? I just was like, Lord's opened a door. There was, there's a kind of cockroach that's called a German cockroach. And they're like born pregnant. I mean, they're just, it's, they're, they, there was an infestation. We could not get the cockroach. But before I walked in, you know what I did? I very, very carefully just asked my wife, what's your favourite colours? What sort of furniture do you like? And I just spent every spare moment of my, my life getting that house ready for my bride to move in. We had no money, man. I'm buying like everything's from Walmart and secondhand. And I'll never forget my wife walking into this house and just almost in tears saying, thank you for what you've done for me. And I was thinking about what it means to create a culture in our heart for the Holy Spirit to come and dwell and come and burn. And it's basically that. It's saying, Holy Spirit, I want to create an atmosphere in my life that when you come in and you fill me, you say, that's the colours that I like. That's the furniture that I like. That's I like what you've done to prepare a place for me. To be filled with the Spirit, according to Ephesians 5, literally means to create an atmosphere the Holy Spirit longs to dwell in. In the Old Testament, you couldn't put out the fire of God. When fire's coming down from heaven, try put that out. Try grieve that out. God's like, I will swallow you. I will swallow you in the earth. In the New Testament, it says this, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Our attitudes, our secret sin, our habits, our idols, our distractions. We can say to the Holy Spirit, I don't want you in my heart. Well, you can be in a little bit of it here, but I've got some rooms just for me. And One of the first things God will do when He gets ready to pour out His Spirit is He will create a hunger of the heart that gets rid of the idols and the distractions and only has one obsession. How do I build a life that God thinks is beautiful and loves to be in? Romans 8 says this, that he's put his spirit within it and it's a cry. It's not a whisper. It's not a once a week Sunday morning during worship. It's the Abba cry. Father, Abba. And that's the cry. So the first thing that's got to happen is that some individuals have to get that hunger. And the first cry they release is this, I want you in my heart. I want you in my life. God comes where he's wanted. Do you want him in your life?
You know that God will bypass a hundred lukewarm people and fall on the hungry person in the room. He's drawn to it. Resolve in your heart, I will have a heart, an atmosphere in my life that God loves to dwell in. Second one is this. It's the cry in the home. The cry in the home. Ephesians 6 is fathers don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. One of the great challenges that we have in our world today is that there's nothing to revive because our kids have never met Jesus in the first place. That's the great threat of the moment. Revivals are bringing back to life, but if they never got the life in the first place, what do you get? There's nothing to draw back on. In the Hebrides revival, one of the interesting things you hear all the time is the people who would say, the songs I heard as a kid were brought back to the front of my conscience. Kids saying there was a family altar in our home. My parents didn't even believe in God, but it was a part of the culture. And those commands of Scripture, you shall have no other gods before me, would haunt me as I left the island, trying to go back to school to get away from the move of God. But God would meet me on the way with His Word from my childhood years. That's what training is. That's what instruction is. Now, I mentioned at the men's retreat, we have an almost 70% failure rate right now in discipling our children. That means that almost seven out of 10 kids who grow up in Christian homes, when they go to university in their freshman year, will walk away from their faith. Like what, what we are building something that is broken. What we are doing is not working. Some parents put more emphasis on where their kids will go to college than where their kids will spend eternity. We just don't have this sense of conviction. So the typical family schedule can be dominated by sports or academics. They can live at a frenetic pace. And as a result, when they get to university, there's nothing to hold on to. Christianity was an option, second to everything. 40% of religious teens in the largest survey that was done in the last two years on youth behaviours inside the church, 40% of teenagers Never read their Bibles, never. There's no seed in their heart for the Holy Spirit to water. Teenagers, when they use their phones, they're called power users. And the typical teenager touches their phone over 5,000 times a day. Now, some of you are like, that's not true. And I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, no, they, ne they never let the phone go. It's like one giant touch. And at night they put it down and at night they're grasping in their sleep. Where is it? Where is it? Oh, it's there. It's okay. If you do anything 5,000 times a day, you'll be shaped by it. So they're being micro-formed by whatever is trending on social media. They're not getting the seed of the Word of God into their spirit. We're losing 1.2 million young people a year from the Christian faith. And the number one reason, according to the Pine Top survey called The Great Opportunity, is because kids don't find Jesus compelling. It's not the intellectual questions. It's not apologetics. It's not sexuality. They're just like, Jesus is not it. How do you take the Son of God and His vision of the kingdom and make Him boring to an entire generation? No priority. No priority. We're building third soil homes where the gospel's there, but it just slowly gets choked out by the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things. But it's not just people with kids. It can be elderly folks too. One of the gifts that you have if you're older in your years and the kids is gone is that you have unlimited time to pray, to seek God, to be used by God, to call on His name. Build that older in your home and tend to it. I was reading this morning about the Clapham sect and William Wilberforce ending slavery. And no one really understood that Wilberforce prayed three hours a day in the hour in the morning, an hour at lunch and an hour at night. And they just build these rhythms of intercession. And I want to tell you, you may not feel like your prayers are doing much, but you have no idea how sincere prayers prayed to God can shape history and can touch a region. We got to build those altars in the home again. We've got to get people who tend to the presence of God. I want you in my heart is a start, but I want you in my home. That's another thing. 
If you're a parent, I want to urge you to pray for your kids, to build a family altar, to put the presence of God there. Worship music on in the background. They wake up to an atmosphere you've created that is hungry for God. They come home from school and they're stepping into a space that's been cultivated for the gifts of the Spirit, the Word of God, the mission of Jesus. The third place that this cry has to happen is the cry of the church. It's an altar in the church. You guys, have a, you guys have an altar right here, just around the corner. I've seen it many times on the interwebs. There you are. There's Pastor Chad just faithfully praying, seeking God, calling on the name of the Lord. Well, that's important because you'd be amazed at how many churches do not have God at the centre. Their deepest cry is not, we want you here in our midst. It's a cry for something else. And this has been such a heartache that we've seen during COVID. We've had the cry, we want politics in our church. We've had a cry, we want other factors in our church. We've lost the central cry of having God's presence in the middle. I was praying this morning and thinking about the story of King David. As David becomes the king and he's anointed and he's brought into power. He wants to go get the ark. And if you read what happens at the end of Saul's reign, Saul doesn't even have the ark or call on the name of the Lord. When David unites the nation, he says, I want to go get the ark. And you remember how he does it? The Philistines, they they send the ark out because Dagon's just like face planning. And so they say, get the ark out of here. And so the ark comes out and David says, let's go get the ark. Let's bring the ark in. And do you remember how he brought it in? He brought it in on a cart. And then Uzzah, the cat's going to fall, the ark's going to fall, and Lucy's like, oh, I've got to help God. And what happens? God strikes him dead. This is an amazing principle. God says the dirt is cleaner for my presence than an unholy man trying to help me. So David leaves the, ha- the ark at the house of Obed-Edom, and he says he's angry with the Lord, and he goes home. And here's what happened. He tried to bring the presence of God in, in the Philistines' means, in an efficient way. He failed to take carefully what it means to host the presence of God. And so he goes back and in a season of repentance, he says, because I did not carry the ark and only the Levites can touch the ark. He goes back this time, several months later, and he gets the Levites and they consecrate themselves and they cleanse themselves. It says every six steps, he made a sacrifice before the Lord. Careful, reverent, slow, He's not doing the Philistines way. He's not pragmatic. He's not trying to get something, the way of the world into the center of the church. He was careful and he was reverent. And I do think this is such a strong thing. We have seen the failure of discipleship and the idolatry in the American church in the last five years. And you've got people who want anything other than God himself at the center of the church. And here's the thing, if if God comes where He's wanted and you don't want Him, other idols will come in who want attention. And people will serve those idols because they're pragmatic and they're fast and they give immediate results, but the Holy Spirit just walks out the side door. There has to be that cry, that sense of bringing God in, caring about God. This is the Lord's church and it must be done His way with the fear of the Lord, with holiness and with reverence. And when that happens, the presence comes. The presence comes. And God becomes to ma- begins to manifest His heart and His culture. Prayer and presence have to be at the center. There's a book written by a man named Terry Teekle. And he wrote it as a contrast to the purpose-driven church. And he wrote a book called The Presence-Driven Church. I love that vision, a presence-driven church. We can take casually... The presence of God. When you came here this morning, were you thinking in your mind, I cannot believe it. I will be in the presence of the God of the universe. Not just seeing Mary and Kate and your friends and the coffee out the front and uh, in and out down the street there. Not that. God is here. If a politician came in, with all of his escorts and all of his guards, and all, you would, even if you don't like him, you would have a bit of reverence there. You would say, wow, there's a person of power here. Do we have that same atmosphere and reverence for the presence of God to be in our midst? We can take a ca- too casual a thing. 
And I know that your church has paid a great price to put the presence at the center. But I want to tell you, you've got to increase the intensity of that cry. We want you here. You're going to say, we want you here, Lord. We want you in our gatherings. Lord, we're getting rid of the scripts. You've got unlimited time. You can do whatever you want. We'll preach on whatever you want. We'll move wherever you move. We'll stay where you want to stay. God comes where He's wanted. Do you want Him here? Do you want Him here? And then the fourth cry, this is the, a cry for the region. This is saying, God, we want you in our region. Somebody is going to shape the future of your region. There's people with agenda. There's people who wake up, up and down this coast, and every day they say, the future of this region will be what? Political parties wake up. Politicians wake up every day and they're like, I need the vote. I need the vote. I want this region. Activists wake up and they say, I want this region. I've got an agenda and vision for this region. What, what do Christians wake up and say? Well, just do my thing, go to church, just hang out a bit. And uh, I guess I'm just going to complain about whoever shapes the region. Why not shape the region? Why not get a vision and a hunger to say, Lord, we want your future here. Why not wake up every morning and say, I see a different future for the Central Coast. And if you don't, if you don't have that kind of vision, read your Bible, study church history and just see what God's done in the past and say, we'll have some of that here now. Thank you, Lord. Expand your horizon, get bigger possibilities of what it is that God can do. I live in uh, New York City and in 1857, there was a, a great revival in New York City. It's called the Businessman's Revival. And there was a layman who started praying in an old Dutch Reformed church. Six people came to the first meeting after he personally paid to have thousands of pamphlets printed. He so believed that a movement of God was coming. He's, he's distributing this for weeks, just believing God's going to work. And can you imagine the launch meeting? Thousands, come on, come on, come on. Six people show up and you're like, ah, oh, vested my own resources, like built the website, did a social media campaign, and then six folks come. And you're like, okay, okay. But he heard from God. And over the course of time, the next week, more people came and then more people came. And here's what he said. I want a different future for New York City than the future that's just driven by arts and economics and immigration. I want God's future for this city. So we began to pray and seek God. Six months later, every church in New York City was full. They would ring a bell on Wall Street to stop trading and tens of thousands of men would gather in every church. This would result in over a million people coming to Christ. There was a, a tangible zone of the manifest presence of God that was so covering New York City that people as they were coming in on horses could feel the presence. Miles away, people were repenting of their sin. As ships would come in in the dock, miles out, people would get a sense of conviction and they had workers on the docks who would say, do you need to get right with God? Do you need to get right with God? Because they were just feeling the presence of God. I don't even know what, why God was manifesting on the ocean, but there was a tangible zone of the manifest presence of God in New York City. Four businessmen from Northern Ireland visited that revival, went back to Northern Ireland. And you know what they said? We want you here, God. We want what you did in New York City to happen in Northern Ireland. And that released the great Ulster revival in Northern Ireland. An extraordinary move of God. Entire town swept into the kingdom of God because they had hunger. There was the presence of God so great off the coast of Northern Ireland that when people were immigrating from England and going around the coast, they were coming under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And they have records where the captains are like, send chaplains for the people who are immigrating. What is that? Well, let me tell you what that is. Better than we've got now. Is there a different God? Are we serving that God? Could God still do those things? Well, why doesn't He do them? Don't have the same hunger they had. When I went to the Hebrides, it's very hard to get to the Hebrides. You, we, somebody, we flew in to London, then we took a train up into Scotland, and then we took another train, 
And then we took a bus an hour and a half. And then we got to a station and we took a ferry for three and a half hours. It's extraordinary. And right as I was getting off the ferry, a newspaper caught my eye. And it says, Christians gather on site of historic revival and ask God to do it again. This was like a sign for me. I'd drag my family halfway around the world. And so I took this newspaper and we went to these signs. And I remember talking to one of the saints who'd witnessed some of this stuff. And I said, why did God move in the Hebrides? It's so hard to get here. Why didn't He move in Glasgow or one of the big cities? And her reply was this, because we wanted Him here and they didn't want Him as much there. That was it. God comes where He's wanted. Do you want Him here? Tangible zones of the manifest presence of God. God will bypass a thousand churches to touch a hungry church, but it takes more than one hungry church to reach a region. And that's why preaching at the men's event this past weekend was incredible to me. Over 20 churches who had been praying together, working together, networking together, having a live stream now of different churches represented across this region. Do you understand how rare this is? You are at the beginning of a miracle. This is not normal. I'm in New York City. We have one of the longest pastors' prayer summits. 300 pastors gather once a year to pray. And I'm telling you, you have more spiritual momentum here now than we've had after 30 years of prayer in New York City. Don't take this lightly. Don't take it lightly. Lean in. The cry of the region, when enough Christians in a region say, we want you here, God says, okay, here I come. Here I come. And that's when... The principalities are broken. Strongholds come down. And God takes the field and comes in with power. Look, it's beautiful here. I get why you live here. I was on the beach yesterday morning, walking down with that cracking coffee in a morning bun, praise God. (laughs) Out on the pier, looking at the waves. I grew up surfing in Australia. You can surf here. I was feeling all the feels. But is this all it is, a great place to live because there's natural beauty? Is this all it is, a place to live because you retired here or you have a job here or your family's from here? Or is there more? No, there's more. There's more than spiritual and natural beauty. There's spiritual possibility here. And I want to encourage you to press in like you've never pressed in before. There's so many prophetic words from these great prophets hovering over your region. All of these people all over the world saying this is going to be one of the great gateways. Someone's got to cash in those prophetic promises. Someone's got to go, how about now, God? The promises hover over a region. A few people in a session have to go up and pull it down and make it not possible, but probable and then historic. Doesn't take a lot of people. If you're thinking, well, we've got to grow to a thousand before that happens. Says who? Says nobody in church history. All it takes is the right people with enough hunger, working together with a great push, a constant pressing in to take a hold of the promises of God and to believe that something is possible. We want you here. We want you here. Most of the prayers I pray in New York City are very, very simple. I walk through Times Square every morning. I'm in the city and I pray and I just walk through and I say, Jesus, I want you in Times Square. Jesus, the eyes of the world, every New Year's Eve drop. We do all night prayer and worship on New Year's Eve and all we're saying is, Lord, as the eyes of the world watch the ball drop, we're praying the Spirit would drop. We want you here. On 45th Street, I release the presence of God, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the activity of Jesus, the heart of God for the poor, a vision of righteousness. Jesus, I want you on 45th Street. Then I go to 46th Street. I say, Lord Jesus, you are welcome on 46th Street. I invite your miracles, your mercy, your message, your heart. Come Holy Spirit on 46th. Then I go to 47th Street. I'm like, Jesus, this one too. I want you here. And I just go street by street and I just pray. Our culture is trying to push God out in a reverse exorcism and it's our job to usher Him in with a divine welcome. We want you here. Is that the cry of your heart? Let that rise. Let that rise. When that becomes the one thing, 
you were close to a move of God. When that becomes your great holy obsession, when you're turning the TV off at night and breaking through your boredom into intercession, God will come. When you're sitting there and the prodigals are far away and you've done everything and yet you go another later, the prodigals will come home. When you feel like you don't have the resources you need, but you press in, the resources will come. God comes where He's wanted. And He's just looking, it says. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the whole earth to strongly support those whose hearts are fully His. We want you here. It says this in James chapter 5. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, just like we are. We're like, no, he was special. No, he was just like you. Prove it. Well, after he has a great victory, someone says, I'm going to kill you, and he runs off and flees and wants to quit. He has to have a little nap, and then an angel wakes him up, gives him a little drink, a little snacky cake, puts him back to sleep because he's so overwhelmed. He's just like us, gets discouraged, gets beat down in spite of great miracles and victory. But Elijah did something that many of us don't do. He prayed. He prayed. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. You know that story, it's interesting. He had a promise that rain was coming, but he still had to win a seed. He wasn't passive. He didn't say, well, God's gonna do it. He's God. The prophets declared the word of the Lord. No, he gets into that birthing position on his knees with his head between his legs and he begins to intercede, send the rain. Send the rain. And then what? He go, tell the servant, is it coming yet? He's like, no rain. He doesn't say, well, I just trust in the sovereignty of God. So in God's timing, no. He gets back down again. He starts praying and he says, go check. The, the servant comes back, not yet. And he goes, okay, presses in again. How many of you on the fourth time are like, you know what, I'm going to Dunkin' Donuts, man. This is getting heavy. He doesn't move. He presses in again. On the last time, what does the, the servant say? I see a cloud the size of a man's fist on the horizon. And when he knew that he'd gotten breakthrough, he gets up and he says, let's go. And then it says this beautiful phrase, the sky grew dark with clouds. It starts like a small little fist, but then the sky grows dark and then the rain comes. And I believe I am here to recruit you today to be a person like Elijah who is persistent in prayer until rain comes to your region and a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit happens. That's it. That's the whole thing. You don't have to. You can do whatever you want with your life. God's given you free will, but your hunger will attract the presence of God. And we need mums, we need stay-at-home mums when the kids are taking a nap to just, to just call upon the Name of the Lord in their homes. We need retired folks getting up in the morning, walking up and down those beaches, calling for fire on the region, those beaches. We need, we need people in the workplaces creating odours, saying, Lord, I'm calling on the Name of the Lord. Come visit my business, come visit this region. We need teenagers putting their phone down or at least putting it on something godly. Bible app, calling on the Name of the Lord wherever they are. And when that happens, the sky will grow dark with clouds. I want to close by giving you an image, which is this, it's the image of my life. I can't get away from it. It's like a prophetic image that just haunts me everywhere I go. Because what I'm talking about requires faith, doesn't it? Even if your spirit stirred a little bit, like, yeah, I want you here. I also want to go to lunch, but I do want you here. Even if it stirred a little bit, it can just be like, man, that stuff never happened. The Jesus movement, man, come on. That was like 50 years ago, 60 years ago. That was further down the coast. Like, I don't even know. But sometimes you've got to remember what's possible. This is a picture right here of the Atacama Desert in Chile. And can we, it's, it's, there's just nothing here. This is the driest place on planet Earth. This is where the Mars rovers do their training to determine the conditions on Mars. I mean, there is nothing here. Some of you are like, I do not want to go there. It's, there's nothing there. And you look at this and you just think, what is that? It's like a train track and that train is like, get me out of here. <laughs> Some of you, you feel like your life looks like this. 
God, you just, where'd your presence go? Some of you used to know the vitality of the Lord, gifts of the Spirit, but your heart's going cold. It just looks like, is this my destiny? Am I destined to dry up and die and that's it? And it can be discouraging. Some of you look at your families and your kids are away from the Lord. Some of you look at the church and you're just like, is this it? And if you were to think that this is all that is possible, you would be deeply discouraged. And this is, this is what it looks like. It's not much there. But underneath this desert, there are 200 seeds of wildflowers dominantly sitting below the surface. And the problem is they don't get enough rain in a close enough period of time to activate the flowers. So all of that beauty and potential is sitting there dormant. But then every now and then, they have what is called a super bloom. And in a super bloom, they will get 12 years of rain in seven hours. And what it'll do, it'll go into the soil and it will activate those seeds. And every now and then, next slide, this is what happens. This is a picture of the same place. The entire desert will bloom. And when I look at New York City right now, that's not what I look at. I'm looking at a city that's been devastated. It's secular. It's godless. It's filled with idols and ideologies. And it takes a lot of faith for me to look at that soil and say, underneath this, there is a great move of God that has not been seen in 170 years. But I walk up and down the streets and I'm calling for rain. Send the rain, Lord. I'm asking for a super bloom. I'm asking for 12 years of prayer in seven hours across this region. And it's possible that things will be activated if people gather and hunger enough. This is possible. This happened. This is real. You just need to get a decade worth of prayer happening in a day. When enough people say, like Elijah, I'm calling for rain. When enough people are on their knees crying out to God, I'm not going to stop until I see that cloud. I'm not going to stop until the sky grows dark. You know what will happen? Your region that looks like a spiritual desert will bloom like this. The nations will come here. The airports will struggle. They will add flights. Rental car businesses will spring up so that people can come and behold the move of God that's happening in your region. If enough people will hunger and give themselves to this kind of future. It all starts with a simple cry. We want you here. We want you here. Is that cry in your heart? Why don't you let that cry out to God? Say that about your life. I want you in my life, God. I, Holy Spirit, I ask, would you forgive me if I've grieved you? If I've treated the supernatural with contempt? If I've gone cynical because I've been discipled by the culture and think this stuff is fake or hype, Holy Spirit, come in again and light that fire. The Bible says, do not neglect the gift of God that's within you. And some of you believe it, but you haven't tended to the flame. And God's saying, fan into flame the gift of God that's within you. Let it burn again. Let that cry out. We want you here. Maybe some of you need to repent for the culture you've built in your home. And maybe it's not a sin of commission, like you've done the wrong thing. It's omission. Maybe again, it's just like that, that Netflix life, man. They get you, don't they? As soon as the episode's done, they're starting the next one. And then your friends are like, did you see this series? And you're like, there goes another 12 hours. And I tell you, God wants to meet you. God wants to meet you. I'm not saying you can't watch a show, but you could trade that show for intercession and you don't know what God's gonna do. You don't know the destiny to be released in your grandkids or in your building or in the people around you, in your heart. The amount of elderly folks, God comes and visits them in their sleep. They wake up, step into what God has for them. We want you in our homes. We want you in our churches, Lord. We are willing to pay the price to put the presence of God at the centre. We'll sacrifice every six steps to build with reverence. We're not into pragmatics anymore. We don't want politics at the centre of the church, taking the attention in place that belongs to Jesus. So we're going to build carefully and we're going to get the ark back at the centre of the presence of God. And we're going to be people who build in a region, call for rain, asking God for a super bloom to come and for it to happen. Listen, pick your future. If you keep doing what you're doing, you'll keep getting what you're getting. And if you think that this is all that God of the Bible can do, You've forgotten the God you serve. 
And I'm here from New York City today to recruit people who will release that cry, I want you here. So why don't you just bow your head right now, wherever you are, and just say that to God. Just say, Lord, I I want you here. You're welcome in my life. Holy Spirit, if I've done anything that's grieved you, would you forgive me? Just let the Holy Spirit just begin to, to touch your conscience. Maybe you've drowned out his voice. Maybe even as I've been praying, you've just sensed God saying something to you. And you're like, that can't be God. Who else is it? Is it calling you to holiness and prayer and intercession? Who else is it? Just yield to the Holy Spirit. Maybe that story about trying to create an atmosphere for my wife and that little home to get it ready so she could come in. Maybe there's something like that. And God's saying to you, build an atmosphere in your heart of expectation and faith. I'm reminded of Acts chapter 2, where it says this. It says, the young men, the young men will see vision and the old men will dream dreams. And that's so interesting because we live in a generation that has no vision for the future right now. But when the Spirit comes, they get a vision for the future. And elderly folks, sometimes they've lost their dream. They think their best days are behind them, but the Spirit breathes on them. They get another dream. And maybe you need that today. If you're young, maybe you're like, I don't see this. I can't see this. Ask the Holy Spirit. Give me vision, Holy Spirit, about who I could be in your kingdom. Maybe you're an elderly person. You're like, I got no dreams left, man. I've done it all. Been there. I'm just like biding my time. Ask for a fresh dream. When the Spirit comes, the elderly dream, the young see visions, God begins to pour out His heart upon them. Your your best days can be in front of you if you want them. Ask God, please use my life. So Father, we just come into Your presence now and we just make ourselves available to You. Father, we just say from the deepest part of who we are, we want You in our lives. We want You in our homes. We want You in our churches. And Lord, we want You in this region. Father, we pray You would tear down the high places that have been set up that dominate the thoughts, the vision, the ideas, the culture of this region. And we just pray that the name of Jesus would be lifted up. We pray that You would bring Your kingdom, Lord God. We pray for an increase in righteousness and godliness. Father, we pray for integrity to be restored. We pray release power in the church. Lord, we pray for stories of repentance, wide scale repentance, people turning back to You. Lord, we pray altars being built, in every place we can imagine where the fire of God falls and the culture is transformed. Lord, we're standing here together in faith and we're asking for the promises that are hovering over this region in the prophetic to come down in our time that we can witness with our eyes the promised move of God that's been given here. Father, we're asking that this literally would happen. We're asking they would add flights to local airports because so many people are coming to drink from the water of life that is flowing from this region. Father, we're praying that people would drive up from Los Angeles, down from San Francisco to catch what You're doing and then go back and bring the fire of the Holy Spirit back to those cities. Lord, we have faith for this. It looks like a joke. It looks like a pep talk. It looks like a cloud on a horizon, but Lord, we believe it's coming and it's possible. So I just pray, give sustaining grace by the power of the Holy Spirit sustained intercession to contend. And Lord, I pray strengthen the intercessors who are watching this, who it's the fourth time, the fifth time, and they're about to give up. Lord, I pray a spirit of intercession to be released where they will contend all the way through to the breakthrough comes. So Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for insights from church history. But more than anything, we thank You for the Holy Spirit and Your presence. And we just pray that You will come and release Your power. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's just stay right there. Before we pass it to every local church, there's a prophetic word that was given from Alvin. Alvin comes down. He's from Mercy Slow. So shout out to Alvin. Um, he, He just sent me a text to remind me he had a very, very vivid dream last week he just texted me in real time and he said, Chad, this is the dream I had. It's what he's sharing. And here's the dream. It's just two sentences. In the dream, Alvin, who's an intercessor, total intercessor, 
he was sitting in a gathering of believers and it was evening time and it started pouring rain. Come on, someone say, send the rain. And he said in his dream, he heard it start at the front of the building on the roof. And then it started working its way back louder and louder. And you know, you ever been in a building where it just starts pounding rain and you just start hearing the rain. And then there was a loud rain that was just over the whole building. And there was a big joyful sound that was lifted. And then Alvin in his dream said, he's giving us the latter rain. He's giving us the latter rain. And then he woke up. And so can we just stand to our feet? At this point, I do wanna pass it to every local church ministry leader and, and prayer team. If this is in your heart, as Pastor John just shared the word, and you want him to come in your heart, can you just come forward? We just wanna end crying out to the Lord here at Radiant. We know that there's nothing super special. You don't have to come forward, but there's just something as we respond to the invitation to become those people who say, we want you here. Come on up from the balcony, from just out of your chair. We just say, we mark this moment to say, Lord, send the rain. We are like that field that's dry and desolate. We need the rain of your Holy Spirit. And I just wanna encourage you, I'm not the only one that has a prayer. So just begin, just for a few, a minute, for 30 seconds, just lift up your cry. Maybe you're saying, Chad, today I, I need an altar in my heart. There's sin, there's idols, there's compromise, and I want the mercy of God to cleanse my heart. Then lift that cry to him right now. The altar of your heart. Come, Lord Jesus. Just that, that great cry of David in Psalm 51, created me a pure heart, O God. Renew a loyal or steadfast spirit within me. And how many would just say amen that, that there's work to do in your home? Just say amen. You wanna build an altar in your home to the Lord. Can we just lift up for 30 seconds, just an intercession for an altar in every home to be established. It can look like John shared, putting on worship in the morning. One Bible verse at the dinner table. It don't have to start huge or gnarly or unbearable, but just that you'd set your heart, Lord, in our home, there's gonna be an altar to your presence, Jesus. Right now, just a few moments all across the room. Let's just pray, Lord, help us build altars in our homes. Come, Lord Jesus. Lord, around dinner tables, beside the bed, in our living rooms, God. In the morning, in the evening, Lord, build altars in our home, God. Get our homes in order. Get our homes in order, Lord. Come, be a banner over our children, over our grandchildren, over our roommates, over our spouse, Lord. Build an altar in our home. Come, Lord, just cleanse our homes, Lord, of anything that's stopping the flow of your grace and of your mercy and of your purposes coming forth. And let's just pray just for 30 seconds for the altar in the church. Let's just pray that God would help us to just keep on building an altar at Radiant. And let's intercede for the churches that joined us. They're not with us anymore online, but let's just pray, God, build altars in every single church. Come on, let's go, beloved. Lift that cry up. That the presence of God would be the centerpiece. Jesus would be the king and the king. King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, build an altar in every single church. Come on, Lord, come and cleanse your temple where your people gather around a thousand other things but you. Be the center, be the Lord, be the one that draws us, Lord. Be the king that emerges and arises over your people. Release your presence, Lord. Release your light, release your life. Lord, we bless every church, Lord, that lifts up and loves Jesus. I pray every church would have an altar in any shape, style, or size. Lord, establish an altar in every, every single church, every church. We need every church praying, every church pressing in, every church building out that altar.
And let's just all with one voice, as, the, as, as John just shared, the, an altar of the region. Can we just pray for a move of unity of these regional altars of brothers and sisters? Let's lift our voices together, beloved. Lord, build out that regional altar from Paso to Atascadero, Templeton, San Luis Obispo, the five cities, Napomo, Santa Maria. Lord, even down to Santa Barbara, we'll take it. The whole central coast, Lord, begin to raise up, bind up intercessors, worshipers. Lord, may your people step into the inheritance of the region. But God, we're crying out. We wanna give ourselves to this. Lord, it's the, it's the 11th hour, Lord. The great deception is among us. We need, Lord, your people to step in to that priestly role, to intercede and to say, come, Lord Jesus, we want you here. You are welcome here. Disrupt our schedules, disrupt our, our time, disrupt our, our rhythms and our practices and our patterns. Lord, become the one thing like David, Lord, the one thing. We want to build a house for you to dwell, Lord. We thank you. Lord, this is a work that you initiate, that you empower, that you sustain, but you're looking for a yes. You're looking for a yes on the other end of the line. Lord, we want a yes in our heart today. Lord, free us from the entanglements of the flesh and of sin so that we can just say a greater yes to relational partnership, to be your sons and daughters, God. And so, Father, can we all just say, Lord, we bless what you're doing. Say that. We bless what you're doing on the Central Coast. Come on, begin to bless North County. Bless North County, God. South County. We bless South County, God. Father, all of the region, we thank you for a regional altar that you're building. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And then let's just pray this simple prayer. Jesus, we say yes to the invitation. We say yes to the possibilities that are before us. And so, Father, strengthen me. Say it, Father, strengthen me. Father, strengthen my brothers and sisters. Empower us to step in to the grace that you're pouring out. In Jesus' mighty name, we all said amen and amen. Can we give the Lord just a clap offering this morning? Hallelujah. You can be seated. You can be seated. You can be seated. Did you have something? Yeah, come on up. Yeah, I was just thinking about uh, the book of Acts uh, chapter 2. Well, the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly, there was a suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were seated. Um, so in the prayer room, I got, I had a vision, and I saw a church, and the church had an upper room. The first level of the church had a few windows, but there was a staircase to get to the upper room. Many people would look at the staircase and just move on. And all of a sudden, many said, no more excuses. We must go up the staircase to the upper room. And as they went up the stairs, there was no roof, just windows surrounding every angle. There was a, the, no roof represented an open heaven. And as they were there in the upper room, the tongues of fire came on all that were there. Then all of a sudden I saw tribes of flags all around. And it was going and it was multiplying. Fire was multiplying in every tribe and nation. But I feel like this is there's no more excuse of just looking at the staircase. It's time to walk up the staircase to get to the upper room. It's time to allow the Holy Spirit to give us tongues of fire once again. Who's in? Who's in? Who wants to say yes and amen to the call? He wants to release the book of Acts again, Acts chapters 2, I believe. But who's hungry enough to walk up the staircase? So Lord, let's just all stand together and just receive that. Lord, we want to say yes and amen. No more excuses. No more just moving on. We're called to step up, to go to the next level, to the upper room. 
we welcome all of us suddenly to take place. As we enter that place and all of us suddenly an open heaven to come, to fall upon us, a tongues of fire. The greatest revival came forth out of that. Thousands upon thousands. So here we are, Father. We say yes and amen to walking up those stairs. Fall upon us, Holy Spirit. Come right now, Jesus. Come. We don't want to leave. We don't want to say, that's not for me. But we're all called to walk up those stairs. We're all called to enter in. Yes, Jesus. Pour out right now. Pour out right now. Pour it out.